Genesis chapter number 13. Uh, we've been in a series so much that uh, it was sort of odd to uh, just open the Bible and pray for direction, uh, as I often do when it's time to study and prepare a message. But I believe this would be the mind of the Lord for us tonight. It's going to be a little bit different than some of the things we've been preaching on here lately. But I want to preach to you tonight about the will of God and about some choices that we make in following the will of God. You know, the greatest responsibility that we as uh, free will agents, as, as human beings with free will choice, have is that ability to make choices. We all make choices. Every day of our life, our life really consists of choices. And how our life turns out is determined by how we make those choices. So I believe that it's a good thing for us to know how to make the right choices. It's not wrong to have to make a choice. But it's always good to make the right choice when you have a choice to make. Amen? Genesis chapter 13 tonight. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai under the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we thank You for this time You've given us. We thank You for Your precious, inspired, preserved Word tonight. Help us, Lord, to be surrendered to it. Lord, we just ask that You do a work in us and in our lives. Thank You for each and every one that's come to be a part of this service. I pray, Lord, that You'd especially bless them and that You'd help them tonight. Lord, we love You. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, when I think about the Bible character by the name of Lot, there is one word that immediately floods my mind, and it's the word tragedy. In the life of Lot, if we choose, we can maybe dig and find some good things about Lot. Certainly, when he uh, could have stayed in uh, the land that Abram came out of, he chose to follow Abram. Certainly, he was willing to be faithful to Abram, even following him out of the will of God down into Egypt. Uh, certainly, the Bible calls him just. He was a just man. He did know God. He did keep good company. 
But by and large, as you look at the life of Lot, anybody that is scripturally honest could tell you that we know basically nothing but bad about Lot. Uh, There are a few things if you dig, but by and large, the narrative of Lot's life, we don't know much about his life before Genesis chapter 13. We don't know much of his life after Genesis chapter 19. Pretty much everything we know about Lot is defined by this idea of tragedy. Lot is probably the quintessential character in Scripture that shows the high cost of getting out of the will of God. His whole life, the emphasis that God gives us, the part of the story that God tells us about Lot, is that he got out of the will of God and that he paid dearly for it. In fact, when the New Testament gives us a commentary on Lot, uh, listen to how the New Testament describes Lot. I've got a bunch of places marked here in my Bible. Let me fight the right one here. In Second Peter chapter number 2, uh, Lot is used as uh, being described as a just man who delivered and is delivered, him and him alone, uh, him and his two daughters from the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's a picture of how God has the ability uh, to strip everything away that is wicked and leave only that which is righteous. And listen how it describes him. It says in uh, verse number 5 of Second Peter chapter 2, uh, speaking of the Lord, it says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful Deeds, And you'll see in verse number 9 the context of it. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. That's the New Testament commentary basically upon this individual, the nephew of Abraham by the name of Lot. I know what it's saying when it says delivered just Lot. I understand that it's denoting him as a just and a righteous man. I don't think, though, we are doing too much damage to Scripture if we understand an application here uh, that it was sort of like the Lord delivered just Lot. In other words, Lot pretty much lost everything when he went out of the will of God. We find this to be substantiated in Scripture. There's not much that Lot didn't lose. In fact, I just jotted down uh, very quickly for an introduction some of the things that he lost by leaving the will of God and doing what he did. First off, he lost his harmony with the Lord. Did you notice what it said there in Second Peter chapter number 2? He vexed his righteous soul. Let me tell you something. The, the first thing that we lose when we step out of the will of God, and probably the most precious thing that we lose when we step out of the will of God, is our fellowship with the Lord. Man, it's an awful thing to lose fellowship with the Lord. You don't lose your relationship with Him. You're still a child of God. If you've been saved, then you're still a child of God, even when you leave the will of God. But imagine what a miserable existence it must have been for Lot day in and day out. This is a man that knew right from wrong, and he immersed himself in that which was wicked and sinful before the Lord exceedingly. I mean, he got to a place, and we see this throughout uh, his uh, history there in chapter 19. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read it tonight, but we see just how far he had fallen. He was still a just man. You say, why, he don't seem very just to me. Well, he was just because the just shall live by faith. He had stepped out in faith with Abraham, and even though he had to be dragged out, he stepped out in faith when the angel led him. It's not our good works that justify us in the first place. 
But this was a man that knew right from wrong. This is a man that had stood at the altar with Abraham. This is a man that knew what it was to know somebody that knew God and to know God himself. And when he makes the decision to leave the fellowship of Abraham and to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, it started a pathway where that day in and day out he was miserable because he was surrounded by wickedness. You know, the only person more unhappy than a lost person is a Christian out of the will of God. You'll be miserable if you get out of the will of God. You won't pray. Now, I'm just telling you the truth now. And I, I mean, I could give you chapter and verse if I wanted to take time to do it. But I think we're all scripturally understanding enough to know that this is biblical. You're unhappy when you're out of the will of God. Typically, you don't pray when you're out of the will of God. Now, there might be some occasions when you in your frustration or because of your circumstances, you cry out, ask God something. But that daily walk of prayer disappears from your life when you're out of fellowship with Him. How hard is it to talk to say, you know what the Bible says? We read it just Monday night in the book of Amos. Can two walk together except they be agreed? If you get out of the will of God, you won't walk with God. You'll begin to get to the place where you don't even like to be around God's people because they convict you. You'll get to the place where it makes you miserable. And I, I, I know there's some, there, there are folks that get hurt in church and some folks, uh, leave church because they've got hurt. Some folks leave churches because they don't need to be in the church they're in. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of times that, that people leave church and they say it's because they got hurt and they say it's because, uh, that they just don't enjoy it anymore. They say it's because it's not like it used to be. When a lot of times it's not really the church that's changed, it's the individual that's changed. Something's going on in their life. They don't enjoy the house of the Lord anymore. You get out of the will of God, you'll, be, you'll lose your harmony with the Lord. And then secondly, he lost his testimony. Whenever uh, they are in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angel comes to Sodom and Gomorrah and says, God's going to overthrow Sodom. He's going to rain fire and brimstone upon it. Uh, you need to warn anybody that you can warn so that they can get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes, the only people he thought he might have an audience with, he, he had the authority and a sense over his daughters. He takes his daughters with him, but he's got two sons-in-laws. And he goes to them and he begins to warn them. You know what it says? Genesis chapter 19 says that he seemed as one that mocked unto them. They didn't believe a thing that Lot said. They said, surely you're joking. Surely you're just a foolish old man telling a tale. Surely that is not going to happen. Now, this is a man that, I mean, he, he had walked with God, but now he can't even gain an audience with his son-in-laws. He lost all of his testimony with him. Family can be the hardest people to reach because they know us the best. And so oftentimes we have lost family members. We really have to walk circumspectly in front of them because they know the ins and outs of our life. And let me tell you, you get out of the will of God, it won't be long before not only you'll know it, but everyone around you will know it too. Your testimony will be gone. You'll do things you swore you'd never do. You'll say things you swore you'd never say. Lot never intended on things ending the way that they ended for him. He never intended on that. When he pitched his tent towards Sodom, I believe with my whole heart that he had every intention of staying there and raising his cattle and raising his daughters and everything turning out well. We never expect being out of the will of God to turn out bad. It's just we usually don't like to think we're out of the will of God. So we expect it to turn out well. He lost his testimony. Not only that, but he lost his integrity. I said a moment ago, he did things he, he probably thought he never would have done. There in Sodom and Gomorrah, the men of the city uh, gathered around and they demanded that Lot deliver forth uh, the, the angels that were there in the house with him. They wanted to lay with those angels. They wanted to commit fornication with those, those angels. And uh, Lot said, no, don't do this. Please don't do this. He said, I've got two daughters. Instead, take them. 
Now, some of you that are parents, it's hard for you to imagine. How could a man ever get so far? How could a man get so far away from the Lord that he'd be willing to sacrifice his children to an angry and wicked-minded mob? But you see, the reality is, when little by little, when the devil robs your integrity, he's getting you to a place where you'll do anything. Anything. That's the purpose. That's why we're being desensitized to sin in our society. We're permeated with it. I mean, there's things, listen now, there's things that goes on in the church today that wouldn't have gone on in any secular institution 50 years ago. We've been desensitized to it. We see it on TV every day. We see it on the Internet. We see it in society. I mean, listen, it's getting to the place now. I mean, it's springtime. Summer's coming on quick. And for somebody to, you know what what the psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Used to, if a man wanted to set a wicked thing before his eyes, he had to go looking for it and hunting for it and digging for it. Now all he has to do is go out in public. And there will be wicked things set before his eyes. The devil is desensitizing us as a society towards sin. So that, that now, you know, there's always a line that we're trying to hold. And when society begins to drag that line further and further away, me and my brother were talking about this. He, uh, we were talking last night about, about conservatism and, and liberalism and things like that, and, and my brother's a conservative for sure. But uh, he, he had read an article that he was telling me about that described why that conservatism is basically a failing ideology. And you say, oh, now wait a minute, preacher, don't say that. Well, is conservatism working in society today? Are we getting more moral or less moral? And he described that the reason why is because conservatism by nature is the idea of holding a line, trying to conserve that which we have. So the left side of the aisle throws uh, ridiculous ideology at us so that when we compromise, we'll have to push that line just a little bit further. There was a time in society where uh, labels like liberal and conservative dealt with the way that a government governed and not moral pillars of truth. But that time is long gone. And now we live in a day, most of you remember a time when the idea of sodomites marrying was, was I mean, just absolutely uh, a, rep, uh, a, a repulsive and a ludicrous idea that a government would ever endorse that. Now, listen now, right now we're just trying to keep pedophilia at bay. What's happened? We've got a line and we've said we're going to hold this line. And the left had said, no, no, you're not going to. You're going to come this direction. We say, okay, we'll compromise for this. We wind up in the middle. But the problem is, if you keep going to the middle, you eventually wind up on the left. Well, sin's that way. The devil's that way. The will of God in many ways that way. We say, I won't do this. I will not do this. And society says, well, you're going to be forced to make some compromises, forced to make some concessions. So we say, I won't go all the way to Sodom, but I will pitch my tent towards Sodom. Pretty soon, by the time you get Genesis chapter 19, uh, Lot is sitting in the gate of the city, which was a place of authority. It was a place uh, of privilege. He lost every bit of his integrity. And by the time you see in chapter 19, he's faced with a crisis decision. He's willing to sacrifice his own kids. I'd say not only that, but he lost his prosperity. He was a wealthy man when he went into Sodom and Gomorrah. But when he comes out, he has to flee into the caves. You'd be amazed what God will take from you to try to get you right and get you to stay right. I, I, and God's, listen, we have a benevolent God. We have a God that loves us. We have a God that blesses us. 
But understand something. We talked about this Monday night. We have this mindset, God won't judge me because He loves me. When the reality is, that's the very reason God will judge you. Every son whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. If He loves you, He will chasten you. He will judge you. Some of you say, the Lord has blessed me so vastly. But if that blessing becomes a springboard to you getting out of the will of God, don't think for one moment that God won't jerk it away from you so quick it'll make your head spin. He lost all of his prosperity. And then finally, I'd say he lost his family. He lost his family. He loses his son-in-laws. He loses his wife. And by the way, and this isn't the message, but I, but I can never talk about Lot without pointing to this. When they were dragging him out of the city, the Lord said, Go to the mountains. Go to the mountains, Lot. You've got to get higher than that crowd if you're not going to be judged like them. And Lot said this. Lot said, Let me go to the city of Zoar. That was one of the plain cities. He said, it's just a little one. It's just a little one. And it was from the plain city of Zoar, the little city of Zoar, that his wife turned back and looked and was turned into a pillar of salt. You know, maybe if, if Lot hadn't been willing to hang on to every scrap of that which was out of the will of God, maybe his wife would have survived. Boy, it's a warning to us men. Isn't it? It's a warning to us men. We've got people looking at us, watching us. A family that's looking to us, many of us do. And, and friends that are looking to us for leadership. And it's on us to not listen, to not settle, to not compromise, but to go to the high ground that God's called us to go to. He lost his family. So Lot loses all these things. And as I began to look at the life of Lot, I think most people would agree that you can trace it back to the decision that he made that we read about in chapter number 13. One decision that spiraled him out of the will of God. Now, let me say, first off, this was a deliberate decision. Because any decision to get out of the will of God is a deliberate decision. You'll find this to be true as you study the Word of God and study the lives of people in the will of God, or in the Word of God that get out of the will of God. Uh, People make mistakes when they're out of the will of God. You'll find this is true in the life of uh, Paul. Paul made a mistake, I believe. I guess folks would argue. But I believe that Paul made a mistake when he took a Jewish vow. And he shaved his head. He did something that he commanded folks not to do. They had laid the, uh, the standards of how far they should, should be willing to make concessions towards Judaism in uh, not eating those things that were strangled, not eating those things which were offered unto idols. But this was directly out of the jurisdiction that Paul said was acceptable for the behavior of a Christian. You can trace that back in his life to a time when the Holy Ghost said to Paul, Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And you'll find that every every single story, every single episode in the life of Paul after that point is is a tragedy, is a trial, is a difficulty. Now, God got the glory through the life of Paul. But Paul made a lot of mistakes after he got out of the will of God. But the decision to get out of the will of God was not an accident. It was not a misstep. It was a deliberate decision that he made. When you get out of the will of God, you'll make a lot of mistakes. You know why? Because that harmony with God has been disrupted. You're not in communion with God. But that first decision to get out of the will of God, that's a decision that we make deliberately. That's that's an informed decision. I believe Lot knew he was making the wrong decision when he chose the well-watered plains of Jordan. So why did he choose it? 
What was it that he did? What was it about this decision that was so bad? It, it, was it bad for anyone to live in that plain? Was it bad for him to, to seek to have a place where his cattle could grow and where he could prosper? Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. But I see three things in the choice of Lot. And I want to give them to you tonight. And I don't have a bunch of sub-points and sub-sub-points and sub-sub-sub-sub-points. I have three points, three things that I see in this tonight that I want to give you. I want you to notice first off, look at verse number 5. The Bible says, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Did you catch that? For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. That seems like a pretty clear-cut decision, doesn't it? Abraham goes to Lot and he says, Lot, you have too many cattle to live with me, and I have too many cattle to live with you. We're rich, we're increased, God has blessed us even in spite of our uh, decisions, and, and the land that we're dwelling in, it's impossible for us to dwell in the same location. Our cattle are getting mixed up, our herdmen are striving one with another, and so our prosperity has brought us to a separating point. We must make a decision about this. Abraham at that time was probably the most faithful man in the entire world. Abraham's life is defined by the walk of faith. Abraham was a man that knew God. Abraham was a man that built altars. And let me tell you something. If you can get yourself surrounded by people, surround yourself by people that build altars. Because when you can find people that build altars, I'm talking about people that make God a priority. I'm talking about people that make sure that the Lord is not an afterthought. I'm talking about people that keep the Lord not just as prominent, but preeminent. You're around some wise people when you get around people like that. Abraham was a man that built altars. And he tells Lot, he says, we have a choice to make. What is the choice that you're going to make? Now, decorum, you would think, would demand that uh, Lot would say, oh no, Abraham, you're the elder. You're my elder. You make this decision. Or maybe he would say, well, where do you think I should go, Abraham? What do you think I should do? And there's a third option that is not even mentioned in here. And I want you to note first off that Lot chose the physical over the faithful when he would not sacrifice that which he had to keep himself in the will of God. There's a third decision Lot could have made, and that was to get rid of his cattle and to stay with Abraham. Now, I, I want to be very clear with what I say here, because I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood. It's not wrong to prosper. It's not wrong to prosper. If you think it's wrong to prosper, raise your hand. Then empty your wallet and give it to me. Amen? It's not wrong to prosper. But let me tell you something. There's nothing in this world worth trading for the will of God. Lot had a decision he could have made. He could have said, Abraham, I'll tell you what, I'll give all my cattle to you or I'll sell all my cattle off. I'll do anything it takes to stay with you because you're faithful. You build altars. You know God. God's got His hand on your life. And I'll do whatever it takes to be with you. I wonder what it would take. I wonder how much we'd, we'd trade the will of God for. 
I wonder if we'd trade the will of God for a bigger paycheck. A lot of people do that when they take a job that keeps them out of the Lord's house. I wonder if we'd trade the will of God for a little bit of society and, and some status. A lot of people do that when they get out of the will of God and allow, allow things to pull them out of the house of God and occupy their time. I wonder, uh, we, we ain't got none of our young people in here. I mean, you're all young people, but I mean our real young people. But I wonder our young people, I wonder them, and I wonder how many of them would trade the will of God for a boyfriend or for a girlfriend. You see, the question is this. What is our price, or do you even have a price? For Lot, the price was his cattle. I remember when I was growing up, my granddaddy used to raise cattle, and I'm sure he didn't have as many cattle as Lot had, but he loved them. And uh, I remember what a sad day it was when he, he got he got too old. He got to the place he, he had to ride a four wheeler everywhere because he couldn't walk anywhere. He had COPD and he couldn't breathe. And uh, the day came when he had to sell off his cattle. And how sad it was. He went down to the, the barn and I don't know what he did. I don't know if he talked to him or hugged him or kissed him. I don't know. But he needed his time with the cattle, and uh, it was a sad thing for him to have to get rid of those cattle. You know, we get so attached to things in this world. And it's not wrong to prosper. It's not wrong to, to grow and to do well. It's not wrong to have things. In fact, it was not wrong for Lot to have things. But when it came to a place where he had a decision he had to make, do I want to keep the cattle or do I want to keep the godly influence of Abraham in my life? He said, I'll lose Abraham that I might prosper in cattle. And he would not give up what he had to give up to stay in the will of God. We live in a time when our young people their spiritual activities are being substituted with extracurricular activities. And parents are gladly trading the, the will of God for their children so that they can have a better spot on a football team or so that they can have a better, better, a better shot at one of those Ivy League colleges. Not wrong to play on a football team. Not wrong to get a good education. But you're trading a, a, a valuable thing when you trade the will of God for any of those things. I'd rather my boy grow up, not have any talent, not have any kind of education, not have any kind of social skills, and be in the will of God than have all those things and it mean him not being in the will of God. Now, the reality is, most of the time, we don't have to make choices like that. But when we do, what choice are we going to make? Because only one bad decision is all that's needed to pull us out of the will of God. That's all it took for Lot, just one bad decision, just one choice that he was faced with. To get him out of the will of God. I want you to notice a second thing. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says this, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. I want you to notice first off that Lot chose the physical over the faithful when he would not sacrifice. But secondly, he chose perception over prayer when he would not seek the Lord. We have no instance of Lot going and asking the Lord's opinion about this. The Lord had an opinion about it. In verse number 13, it says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. The book of Psalms tells us this, to walk not in the way of the ungodly. We're not to sit in the seat of the scornful. 
The Lord's very clear. In fact, He had called Abraham out of a situation very similar to Sodom. And now here Lot is diving himself into a situation like his uncle had been called out of so that he can prosper, so that he can have things. And in the midst of all of it, he never asks God's opinion. I try to be very careful as a pastor. I understand for one thing that sometimes with some folks, my opinion carries some weight. Not much, (laughs) but sometimes with some people it does. I also try to be careful because I think pastors have a real problem with trying to be the Holy Ghost for people. But let me say this, that uh, people ask my opinion a lot of times about things. Uh, Sometimes I wish they'd do it more, sometimes I wish they'd do it less. My opinion varies. I hope it's always in line with the Lord. But can I say this, that you've got someone a lot better whose opinion you can ask. And that's the Lord. I mean, listen, I'm only right 99.99% of the time. But He's right all of the time. You'll find it interesting as you read this chapter. This chapter begins with an altar and it ends with an altar. Look what it says. In the first verse, uh, or in the the fourth verse, uh, which is actually basically one big statement, Abraham, or Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. Abram left Egypt. Where was he going? Uh, Verse number four, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Look down at the last verse. In this chapter, verse number 18, then, Abraham, then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. This chapter begins with an altar. It ends with an altar. But in Lot's decision-making, you see no altar anywhere because he wasn't asking the Lord's opinion. I kind of think he didn't ask the Lord's opinion because maybe he knew what the Lord's opinion was. And that's true of us, I think. Oftentimes, we don't ask the Lord because we know what the answer is. But Lot made the decision to trust his eyes instead of to, to trust the word of the Lord. Let me tell you something. Being out of the will of God always looks good. Always. What's the old adage that the grass always is greener on the other side of the fence? And there's a thousand variations on it, basically, to, to combat and to rebut that. Yeah, but you don't have to mow it. Yeah, but you don't have to water it. Yeah, but when you get there, it doesn't really look that way. But what is the thrust of all those? That it always looks good where you're not at. But when you get there, you realize it don't. it's not as good as it looked from the other side. That's the reality of things. When he lifted up his eyes, and by the way, it, it doesn't say, it says he lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered. You notice that he knew where he was looking and he only looked in one place. You need to be very careful about decisions that are rushed and decisions that are exclusive. It's interesting to me that he won't pray, he won't ask the Lord about it, And Abraham says to him, Abraham says, the whole land is before thee. Go anywhere where you want. But now look what happens down in verse number 14. It says, and the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes. Look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed for." Ever. In fact, he goes a step further. He says in verse 17, Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it. 
for I will give it unto thee. If only Lot had asked the Lord's opinion. What did the Lord say about picking a place to live? Abraham said, Lot, look around. Wherever you want to go, you can go. Lot said, I'll go to the plain of Jordan. After Lot leaves, the Lord says to Abraham, says, all right, Abraham, now I want you to lift up your eyes. And I want you to look to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. Everything you see is yours. And beyond that, because I want you to arise and I want you to walk through the land. And everywhere where the sole of your foot hits, that belongs to you, Abraham. Can I say this? That the Lord always, He may give it to us later than the devil will, but He always gives us more than the devil can. Did the Lord have a right to do this? Well, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This earth doesn't belong to the devil. He may be the prince, the power of the air, and the God of this world, but he don't have the title deed to this world. The Lord does. It belongs to him. We need to seek the Lord's mind about things. Do we pray over our decisions? Do we pray? Do we ask God what the right thing to do is? Oftentimes we don't because we don't believe in prayer. Oftentimes we don't because we're afraid of the answer. Oftentimes we don't because we're too impatient to wait on the Lord to give us direction. But you're always making a mistake when you trust your eyes instead of the Lord's eyes. If only he could have seen what the Lord saw about Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe he would have made a different decision. Then look at verse number 12, and I'll give you this in close. The Bible says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Lot could have dwelt anywhere in the plain of Jordan, but he didn't. You know what we do a lot of times? We always tell folks we're not going to go, we're not going to make the mistakes that other people have made. That's what we tell folks. Other folks, it may have been a mistake when they did this, but we're not going to make that mistake. We're going to do the right thing. Maybe it's a little sanctified imagination, but I can sort of see Lot when Abraham says to him, well, Lot, that's fine if you want to go there, but you better be careful. There's five cities down there, and the men there in those cities, they're wicked. But really watch out for the city of Sodom, because the men there are wicked exceedingly. I mean, the Lord hates what goes on in Sodom. So if you're going to dwell in the plain of Jordan, you be careful, because it's real easy to get caught up. And I can kind of imagine Lot saying, Abraham, I know, I know, I know. I know other men have been charmed by the songs and sirens of Sodom. I know other men have continued down that slippery slope. But Abraham, I'm not going to do what they've done. No, I'm going to toe a line. I'm going to show some restraint. And yet, where does he wind up? The Bible says that he dwelled in the cities of the plain. Uh, it doesn't mean that he lived in all the cities, but probably that he lived in the midst of the cities. But the one that he had his eye towards, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. It doesn't say that his tent wound up toward Sodom. It says he pitched it that way. He made a deliberate decision. I want you to notice thirdly that he chose society over sanctification when he would not separate. He said it's convenient. We've been looking at houses. We've, we've got a house we'd love to buy, but it's just so far away. I mean, it, they have to pop the sunshine in, you know. And uh, living, living here and, and staying here, the, the convenience of it is, is I mean, we're, you know, it's making us soft. 
it's, it's kind of nice, you know. I mean, you can, you can roll out of bed and you're at the store and things like that. Convenience. Civilization. Being with the crowd can be a very alluring thing. And for Lot, he had a choice to make. And he said, I'd rather be in with that crowd than be out of that crowd. I'd rather be in the midst of them and be like them than be an outcast away from them. You know the irony of it? Part of his thinking was probably this. You know there's safety in numbers. That's the mindset of the world, isn't it? Survival of the fittest. The dogma of of secular humanism. Survival of the fittest. There's there's safety in, in numbers. Was there safety in numbers for Lot? No, because here's the reality, that the true majority is the Lord. He's the true majority. If you're with Him, He's still a majority. If you're not with Him, He's still a majority. I've heard said before that the Lord and anyone is a majority. i got news for you. The Lord by Himself is a majority. Whether you're with Him or not, He's still a majority. Was there safety in numbers for Lot? He probably thought to himself, I'd be safer behind the walled city, uh, or within the walled city rather than dwelling in the plain. Here I'm a target to, to bandits and, and, and animals of prey. I, I, I need some protection. And if I get with that crowd, I'll have protection. I'll be okay. Man, my heart breaks for young people because they so much are susceptible to this. They live in a society that worships conformity while preaching individuality. Worships conformity while preaching individuality. You see them sometimes when you go down. I don't even go to the mall anymore, but used to you go down to the mall and you know you'd see all these kids and they're all painted up and their hair's some crazy color and and they've got you know they're not old enough to have real piercings everywhere, so they got these fake piercings and stuff all over themselves and and uh, they're really an individual, you know. But the only problem is that they look and dress and act just like all the other forty kids that are sitting around with them. A world that preaches. Unity or preaches individuality while worshiping conformity. And that's the environment our young people are growing up in. An environment that tells them it's not comfortable and it's not safe to be different. Well, the reality is it wasn't safe to conform for Lot. Because he made the decision that he would rather dwell in the safety of a walled city than in the openness of a plain. But here's the thing, that's where the judgment fell. That's where the judgment of God fell. You couldn't pick a worse place to be than Lot picked. You know, it wasn't his initial decision to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. That was a mistake he made after he got out of the will of God. His initial decision was to go to the well-watered plains of Jordan. But we find that after he got out of the will of God, he made pretty much the worst mistake that he could make. He got in the worst possible position that he could be in because he chose society, fitting in, being like others, above being different and being what the Lord would have us to be. Let me tell you, and I know, I understand, this Wednesday night and young people are in you know, with Brother Kerry and, and you may be thinking, well, preacher, this is, this is for teenagers. No, here's the thing. 
Adults don't conform typically in the way that they dress or in their appearance. You know how adults conform? They conform in their mentality and their attitude and in the things that they're willing to do to fit in and to get ahead in this world. There's a lot of folks that was raised in church, raised on the Bible, raised to do right, that are getting ahead through life by trying to lie and deceive and through cunningness and through worldly energies. They're conforming just as bad as the kids down at the mall are and probably in a more destructive way. We need to understand that none of these things should motivate us in our decisions. What should? What motivated Abraham? Why did he go to the place that he was at? Why did he go to this place between Bethel and Hai? Because the altar was there. When he left there, where did he go? He went to Hebron in the plain of Mamre. What did he do when he got there? He built an altar there. The focal point in the life of Abraham was the altar. You say, how do I stay in the will of God, preacher? You stay where the altar is. That's true of the local church. That's true of your personal devotional life. That's true, I think, in many ways of even an altar in church. What I'm saying is you stay in touch with God and surrender to Him. That's how you stay in the will of God. There isn't a preacher out here that's got a road map, secret book somewhere, has all the right decisions for everyone to make. I, I know you can be cute and say the Bible, that's true. But, but I mean, uh, you know, we don't, when you start pastoring, nobody gives you a secret book for all the people in your church that has all the right decisions for them to make and all the individuality of it for the rest of their life. How do you stay in the will of God? You stay in the will of God by staying at the altar. It's the only way.